You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 37 of You Play A What. I'm back after a two weeks break. Might have just enjoyed the pineapple tarts a bit too much, but it's back to business now, and my guest this week is Clement Lim. Clement and I went to school together 13 years ago. Our friendship has certainly been an interesting one. In the past, there were times that I couldn't tolerate him and I would avoid speaking to him or being in his vicinity. Lucky for him. But plenty has changed since the days where my world is filled with hatred and anger. Clement is currently living in Germany and in the last couple of years living there, he has relocated four times allowing him to stay in the northern, southern, western and eastern region of the country. In this episode, I spoke to Clement about his relationship with Taiwan, his journey living in different cities in Germany, changing school in the middle of his degree course, why he went on his 100 days challenge and his shift in mindset after living abroad for a few years. It's really good to be back speaking to friends and fellow musicians once again. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Clement. My guests today haven't always seen eye to eye with me, but that has been a long time ago. Since then, we have went through the rigor of national service, for him at least, followed by spending some time abroad. He is currently based in the beautiful city of Berlin. Welcome to the show, Clement. How are you doing today? Hi, Vincent. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I didn't know that you remembered that incident too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's not uh, dwell on that too much. Huh? It's okay, been no, a good no. number of years ago. Yeah. yeah uh, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to me. Nice to reconnect with you once again after quite a while. I think yeah. the last time you and I sat down and talked like this was in person back mm-hmm. when you were in Singapore. Yeah, I think for that the was like or something. two or three... Ch- Two or three years ago, um, when we yeah. were having dessert with uh, Xiang Hong, I think. Exactly. 
and we can still walk around with no mask on our face. Oh yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> Those, definitely. Yeah, that period of time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which felt like a really long time ago. Mm. So uh, obviously, quite a lot has changed since we last spoke to each other. You are living in Berlin now at the moment. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with why you recently relocated to Berlin and how has it been since moving to Berlin? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I moved to Berlin um, actually last year. Uh, let me think. This was, yeah, I moved in um, October last year because mm-hmm. um, I won an audition for a Salon Orchestra, so um, which is pretty near Berlin. I mean, on the outskirts of Berlin in Eberswalde. So... Yeah, so my, my job was supposed to start in in the midst of uh in the middle of October. So I have to find a house. If not, traveling from Essen, which is in the west of Germany, to East Germany would be a little bit too hectic, huh, I would say. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I absolutely love the the city. I visited the city in two thousand and seventeen near Christmas and of course I, I lived in your accommodation in Nuremberg at that time mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. a couple of days yeah. before uh, our good friend Ray and myself took a train up to spend Christmas in Berlin. So I, in many ways I would say that Berlin is like this city that is the most un-Germanic in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say that as well? Because it's just so diverse with lots of influence all around the world right mm-hmm. yeah true i mean uh that's also what i w- have always been hearing from people like when you're in berlin it's not really um germany it's like metropolitan european mm. city yeah yeah because i mean i mean of course you do see a little bit of um some um typical german structures but then it mm. has also a lot of new things and then of course with all the um, Touristy, okay, no, well, not really touristy stuffs, but I mean the old relics, which yeah. also um, from the World War Two, which helps to contribute to what it is today, lah. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Of course, mm-hmm. and you got the Berlin Wall, wall as well. You've got things like the Brandenburg Gate, mm-hmm. uh, lots of monuments and things like that. Yeah, Charlie Chaplin, yeah, and I mean, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but and it's such it's it's so different as compared to say, the Bavaria region down in the south where mm. it's steeped in this sort of um, widely known German tradition, mm-hmm. right? There's mm-hmm. the, the Oktoberfest, the, the sausages, the, the yeah. knuckles and stuff like that. So it, it's really quite a, a different sort of place, mm-hmm. I would say. Though I would say, I mean, oh, okay, maybe the, the south or the rest of the Germany would say like, no, I mean, Oktoberfest is not really our thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like a very Bavarian thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it, it takes place mostly in Bavarian cities like uh, Munich or Nuremberg. Mm. I, I want to share with you, like, also, it is a little bit... Uh, most of my experience in, in Berlin was really fantastic. Watched lots of really good concerts, went to fantastic museums. But uh, on, the, on Christmas Eve, so uh, because it was my first time in Berlin and it was not Ray's or Anchun's first time in Berlin... So they decided that they're going to go to the Sony Center, which was near our Airbnb, to mm-hmm. watch the latest Avengers then, which oh. I think Infinity War. So they went out, they went to watch the movie, but I decided to just walk around the city. So basically, I visited all the big sort of touristy sites, as you would say, 
mm-hmm. uh, the big uh, the Vandenberg Gate, the the Reichstag, and and all the, all these places. So wait, I I, wait, I, I so took a walk. I have to interrupt yeah. you. So you mean they yeah. just the two of them they just left you in Berlin alone. And they just went to do their own things, and then you went. Sexy. Yeah, yeah, and I, at, at the same time, I didn't want to drag them along because they've seen these things uh-huh, a number uh-huh. of times, okay. right? Right. So I decided, like you know, this is not really you're still in the same country as much as you are away from the city that you usually live in. So I didn't want to just bring them or drag them along to just look at the same things that they've seen a couple of times, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So okay. I thought to myself, yeah, you, you guys go ahead, and I've seen the movie when I was in the UK. So okay. that was fine, right? Yeah, so I, I walked around. Yeah. It was, I, I took maybe about four hours, four or five hours just walking around the city. So mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. And of course, uh, I love food and I had to go and visit the uh, the kebab stand in Kreuzberg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I my final stop was actually, my plan was to just walk all the way from where I lived, which, which was near the Berlin main station, Mm-hmm. all the way to Kreuzberg and visit, you know, just marking all the sites on the way mm-hmm. until I'm, I'm I'm at Kreuzberg and then take a train back from Kreuzberg to uh, the Sony Center to catch up with the, the rest of them. All right. So I had a kebab. It's really good. And then I, would, I decided, okay, now down to get the metro and then go back to the Sony Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was one of the scariest experiences ever. So the moment I went underneath to the train platform, mm-hmm. it w- I was just met with about probably four to five junkies mm-hmm. that were absolutely high on something. I don't know what. Their eyes were bloodshot. Oh. Literally, it was just like, you don't see white at all. It's just red. So I went down and I, for usually I don't feel like that, but I feared for my life then. <laughs> So I'm like, mm. and you know, when you reach an um, sort of this kind of underpass, mm-hmm. there's not really anywhere to go. Yeah. So I, I just quickly turned around and just like went back up to Whoa. <laughs> the the normal <laughs> level. And they said, well, I guess I'll just have to take the same route back or just walk a little bit further and go to a more sort of um, a station that I felt a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. So I also don't know maybe the reason why there were so few people down at the platform was because it's Christmas Eve. Most people have really gone home to to celebrate Christmas or whatever. So I'm, I'm not sure. But that was one moment that I literally kind of freaked out a little bit. Oh, interesting. I mean, I don't yeah. think I have really such um experience. Or maybe I did as well. But maybe it's just not... um I didn't really try to observe these people and just ignore them and do my own business, you know? like um Because there were also some people at the stations but i mean now that you mentioned yeah maybe i mean when i was in essen there might have been like um an urban station or um as you call it um the metro station where Mm. there was one particular stop where it's always really um dirty and um there's always um, those um, hobo people yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and i mean they're doing their own stuff and i thought i smelled weeds or whatever but but maybe mm. what you have experienced was something worse yeah 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 but maybe maybe you know usually when you come back to to singapore mm-hmm. you also make a pit stop down uh, or up i would say to to taiwan mm-hmm. most of the time and you yeah. do some work there mm. and of course uh, as a friend i know that 
you're not 100% Singaporean <laughs> as much as you served uh, the national service. So wh- why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that and what is your relationship with Taiwan and what mm-hmm. do you usually do there? Okay, so um, basically, I mean, I'm Singaporean. I'm, I was born in Singapore. and But then my mom, she's from Taiwan. So basically, um, she married my dad and moved over to Singapore alone and with the rest of her family in Taiwan. So mm-hmm. basically what we do, I mean, uh, as a family, or at least the three of us, me my and my sister and my mom, we traveled almost on a yearly ba- basis back to Taiwan to visit my relatives. Um, back then mm. it was mainly to visit my grandparents. Okay. And then uh, as it progressed, as I grew older, I mean, I started doing music. Uh, because my aunt, my Xiao Ai, she is a mm. coloratura soprano singer. So, okay. yeah, so um, she tried to help me in some ways la, that she can. So, like, we, we, we will have concerts frequently um, or as much as it's possible when I'm back in Taiwan. Mm. Yo. So, okay. pretty much right now, it's like um family and uh, work basis. Uh. But uh, I would say I more see. on the family. And then, of course, to visit friends, which I've made over the years in Singapore and in Germany. Mm. Do you return back to Taiwan even when you were just a kid? Was this really like a almost a yearly thing that yeah, you would go pretty back? much. Yeah, I mean, even okay. when I was um a baby, I mean, my, my mom or my uncle, they... I mean, back then it was, I think even now today, I mean, it's very popular mm-hmm. for the adults to take videos of the kids, right? And then, um, I mean, I, I still have all those um, video tapes with me. La, so, I mean, occasionally or that uh, right. we will look at the videos and see, oh, I was a baby and I was in Taiwan, stuff like that. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, do you observe any, uh, I mean, obviously these are two separate countries and culturally, as much as we're all Asians, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, anything you particularly enjoy when you go back to Taiwan? Oh, let's talk about the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, right. I love the food yeah. and I'm not sure if you, you realize, but I'm not so much of a chili person. So, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, so sometimes it's a little bit difficult for me um, when I um, was in Singapore. Like, you know, like, <laughs> Too much like, sambal. Yeah, it? <laughs> it's like, I mean, this might surprise you guys, but like, I think the first time when I really accepted um, the chicken rice chili sauce, that was when, mm-hmm. I think it was on the day when I went into BMT. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when we and had the chicken rice. Because you had no choice. Oh. No, I, I just I just thought like, okay, I'll give it a try. And I don't know, right, somehow right. my taste bud decides to accept chili all of a sudden, you know. Because previously, I would think like, oh, chili, spicy. Oh, chili, let's not go there. Right, right. Yeah, but okay, okay. I don't know. Stuff. Like yeah. <laughs> Maybe it represents something, right? Accepting chili and going to national service really puts <laughs> down the stamp on you being a true Singaporean. <laughs> yeah, maybe shaving the hair really helps too. <laughs> Accepting yeah, who you, I am. You, I you let, go let go of your past, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a new you now. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, I, I know with you and over the years, following you on various uh, social media platforms as a form of uh, keeping track of your career and yourself, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've seen that you've embarked on uh, a few different kind of projects on your social media account. So, of course, uh, recently you started your own uh, music uh, Instagram account. Mm-hmm. 
which yes. is Clement Lim underscore flute, which yeah. is now where all your musical posts and activities is happening mm-hmm. away from your personal account. Uh, but when you were not so active or when you have not created your own music account before, you started this 100 Days Challenge mm-hmm. on a particular oh, orchestra excerpt. <laughs> right. So I, I'm interested in that because I do see the uh, the perks and the positive notes that would happen or the po- positive effects that would come by doing something like that, approaching something consistently and using this sort of video documentation as a form of motivation for you to make sure that you keep showing up and doing the same thing and making sure and tracking your progress and and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what was the motivation behind starting this 100 days challenge? Mm -hmm. Well, um, actually, I I think the reason might have been a pretty stupid one. (laughs) It was pretty much to prove to one of my um, teachers, I will not name who, uh, prove to one of my teachers that I really did practice hard on my excerpts. But because... um, I mean, uh, I think this is a common problem for a lot of us, or in fact, most of us, where when you practiced um, a particular thing in the practice room yourself, and then um, after practicing a few times, and then you thought, oh, okay, it sounds really good. And you thought, okay, this is the way it should go. And this is how I will present it. And you're sure that, mm-hmm. okay, like maybe you play another three times and you always get this. And then you thought, okay, going to the lesson will be fine. But then when you are there at the lesson, and you try to play this to your teacher, or help break loose, or well, not really break loose, mm. but it just doesn't work. And then yep. the teacher or some teachers will be doubting you, say that no, you didn't do this properly. You know, are you sure you really practice this? So, mm. so that was um the point about um basically that was what happened to um me and that teacher of mine. So I decided one uh, on one fine day that I will record um this excerpt on the video and then I decided to show it to her because when I was there on the lesson day playing this particular excerpt to her again and she said like no this is not good and then I was like wait I have something to prove it to you and then I took mm. the video and I showed her and she, and she said oh oh yeah really it was much much better than um, what you have been presenting <laughs> presenting and showing it to me <laughs> Right, yeah, so that right. was like that, that. That was like the point when they decided. Okay, so I will try to do this thing, and then um, and I came across on I think Instagram or Facebook where there was this hundred days of practicing going on, which was mm. started by uh Hilary Han, which oh, I okay. previously mistake I was mistaken. I thought it was done by Julia Fischer. Okay. <laughs> I mean both of both of them are right. violinists, but I mean one's German, one's um American. Yeah. Mm. But I mean um the hundred days of practicing, um how she did it was a little bit different from how I've done it. La. So basically mm. what it was about, if I'm not wrong, it was basically you challenge yourself to practice hundred days of practicing without stopping. And mm-hmm. then um, you do you could do various things, different things. Maybe today you do technique or maybe do, you do one particular passage and you try to make sure mm-hmm. it's good and then you move on, you know, for the 100 days. But yeah. what I did was I tried to motivate myself to make sure that I do the same thing for 100 days and then make sure that it really progressed. But of course, I mean, doing something for 100 days nonstop, it's not easy, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because mm. when I was doing it, it was, uh, I think it started in October or November. 
and I mean, as you know, um, no in, Christmas break for you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> no Christmas, and then I mean, it, it's gonna probably annoy the neighbors as well. Like, God, I have been listening to this damn excerpt for like the past one full month or two, and then right. this guy is still going on and on and on. Yeah, mm. so so it's a uh, a lot of um determination. And of course, I mean, you'll see like a lot of ups and downs. There will be some good days, there'll be some bad days. But sometimes mm. I would also notice that, oh, um, what I recorded today is much better than what I recorded like maybe two or three days ago. And then the next day is like, poof, it's going down again. Mm. But, yeah, mm. but it's, it's, it's really um, stamina training, like I would say, because yeah. when we are doing auditions for orchestras, this is what you need to go through as well. Because you'll be hearing like a hundred different versions of Mozart flute concerto on the day or you'll be playing like Mozart flute concerto the, the next I don't know few weeks just to prepare for this one particular audition and yes. it's a make or break uh, situation mm. one shot one cue huh? yeah. yeah yeah that one really crazy <laughs> mm. yeah but yeah it's really interesting as well because what you've mentioned you know the being a music student and studying music uh, at a higher education level, so much of what we are doing revolves around the feedback that we receive from one particular person, which is our main principal studies teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that their impact and the things that they say would push us to do things or make us think about certain things. Uh, could be a negative or it could be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But their words really, really has impact. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit um, too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we, we tend to start to lose track of uh, where we are really at. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yes. Mm. And now, so talk about your new uh, Instagram account. Okay. The, of course, uh, Clement Lim underscore flute. Uh, what are we going to expect in the, in the coming months? Do you have anything down the pipeline or is it still kind of a surprise for, for everybody? <laughs> yeah, it's not so much of a surprise. Uh, yeah, another another hundred days of oh, another excerpt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that, but then uh, nah, maybe I mean I will do this in private because <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not gonna put lo- anybody so, through this again. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of people. There, are, there, I mean, right now on Instagram, I do see there are also people who are doing something similar stuff like this as well already. Mm. Yeah, so I don't, know, I don't think there's a need for like a similar content which is gonna be like being posted in like a different variation for like another thousand times. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, back then when I was doing it, I do receive some complaints for from some friends of mine on on my old account. Like, can you please stop posting um your this excerpt video because it's taking up a lot of like my data usage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was when I decided okay. like uh, back, I mean, back then I, I just, I just post the videos, right? And then I decided to post not just the video, but like, the first page, the first photo, I will post like one photo before the yeah, video. Yeah. So like, oh, okay, it's just a photo. And if you want to look at the video, swipe right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's okay. very considerate of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, okay, no, I will yeah. not go through that again. Yeah, okay, but mm. um, no, so back to the um, my flute account. So basically what I'm doing right now, I'm working on um, this set of etudes done by this composer by the name Don John. So he has this um salon etudes, which are, I guess you can say it's a little bit 
something like um, um, Chopin's Etudes, where they are not just for practicing, but it's also performable. Yeah. Okay. So right now, I mean, uh, the last time I did it was in late January. Uh, mm. the first, the very first etude of the series, and then I have decided that I will try to complete all eight of them because, honestly speaking, I don't think I have really completed any set of um, etudes before. Okay, maybe uh, just one or two books of etudes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was a. Uh, this is a very important moment where I try to improve my techniques and um increase my solo repertoire. Well, mm. stuff like that. Mm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, we look forward to that. Once again, Instagram handle, Clement Lim underscore flute. So uh, I will share this link in the show notes. So anybody who is interested can just go on there and look at the work that Clement is doing. Let's move on. So of course, with most people and most guests, we're going to talk about how and where did we first meet? Hmm. We met first, I believe, in Nafa. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I mean, even though actually, um, we studied, uh, I mean, there was a couple of years when our secondary schools mm. were sharing the same campus in uh, yes. Sembawang. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that was a that's a really strange time. Uh, a secondary secondary school student still mm-hmm. having afternoon session for <laughs> the entire oh. first year of his was... secondary one. Yeah. <laughs> I There's really wanted that life, you know, back then. Yeah. <laughs> that, trust me, it's it's not that lucrative. You don't get that much sleep in, to be honest. Ah, okay. Right. Uh, so, uh, absolutely, I agree with you. Where we first met in Nafa. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, you and I, we share a couple of mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Because my secondary school was affiliated to the JC that you were in. The junior college that you were in. Oh. So, I had I two... <laughs> two bandmates, flute players that were in your section. Obviously, you were in JC2. Uh, yeah, yeah, they of were course. in JC1, right? <laughs> uh, wait, yeah. I was in JC2, they were in JC. Oh, right. right? Okay, yeah, 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 I remember. Okay, two of my uh, really pretty close secondary school friends at, who were flute players. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so of course, uh, I've then got um, some knowledge about you. Mm hmm. And they, they spoke about you and, and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, interesting. This person is apparently also going to NAFA. So I guess I'll meet this person and we'll have some kind of like common topic to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. We met when we were when we were in NAFA. And yeah, time flies. Indeed. It's more than 10 years ago since we entered NAFA. It's 13 years to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Where has all the time gone? <laughs> in a blink of an right. eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I always say like on, on my podcast is that a lot of people that I'm speaking to on the podcast, I've known them for more than 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a little bit scary because in the past, it's, it feels like 10 years is a long time. Like not too long ago, I was 21 and now I'm going to turn 30 in a few months time, which is crazy. Yeah. <sighs> Don't yeah. talk to me. Don't don't this. don't sound <laughs> and don't look so depressed. <laughs> it's just a number, right? They, uh, they say the thirties yeah, is the best years of our lives. Oh so, yeah, yeah. We we shall see. We shall mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But and and then we've been in the same. Uh. I mean, we've been in sort of in touch since then. 
mm-hmm. not constantly, but on and off, uh, every now and then uh, we'll catch up on what all of uh, each of us is doing uh, and things, right? Yep. Yeah. So now, uh, can you just share with us your entire musical journey and your career developments? Mm-hmm. Okay, start off with how you got acquainted with music and yeah, how this whole thing just took off to uh, land you in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think how I um, started off with music, uh, be it the piano or um, the flute, I think they are all really just um, coincidence. So I started playing piano when I was four. And how did this happen? This happened, if I recall correctly it was like a random question from my mom when i think i was about either three or four you know um my i I think i was watching tv that day and then my mom just decided to ask me like hey um do you want to play the piano and then i was kind of in a daze i was watching the piano and then i was staring at my mom and i think i wasn't really concentrating really hard and i just said yes and i mean that's (laughs) (laughs) that's how i started playing the piano ever since i mean from four until uh i was about 18 when I finally finished my grade 8 piano and then that was when I thought okay piano that's enough and then I'm just going to concentrate on flute yeah okay so I mean I started playing piano at the age of four um, I started off with um, uh, in this um, music group lesson in Yamaha and then mm-hmm. it advanced on to um, individual lessons and then when I was 13 when I was in um, Riverside Secondary, I joined the school band, which was, again, not my first choice. I didn't want to join the band initially. I wanted okay. <laughs> I wanted to join NPCC or uh, I think that was basketball. Yeah. There you go, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then, but then my dad was saying that, no, I mean, you already learned piano. I mean, why not take advantage of the situation? You, you have a music, you have some musical knowledge might as well make use of this advantage and learn another, another music instrument. Mm. And so Famous last was, words, huh? Yeah. And so I was kind <laughs> of like something forced. that he couldn't control. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I was forced to play, uh, to join the school band. Yeah, okay. but then again, um, the CCA uh, HOD, he also came to approach me and told me that he put me in band as well because... I have musical knowledge and it's going to be like um, a plus point for the school band. Like I'm helping out, contributing to the school. And yeah, I mean, okay, so sure. the teacher said that and then my, my parents are saying this as well. Then, okay, I mean, back then, I wouldn't be thinking uh, as what Anchun said last week. Um, I don't I don't know my rights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just joined the band, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. when I was in the school band, Again, I mean, the flute was not my first choice. I want, I wanted to play the French horn. Okay, that that's interesting. Yeah, because that's I interesting. mean, uh, I mean, as you guys know, I mean, uh, in the earlier part of my in the podcast, my aunt is a singer. So, mm-hmm. um, in Taiwan, I think it's very common for them all to start off with piano, and um, so they have their major and minor studies and. Most of the Taiwanese musicians that I know, I mean, they're very proficient in piano. So my aunt is also a piano teacher. So back then when she was um, still a piano teacher and she holds um, 
this family concerts very frequently and one of her students played um the famous Toredo excerpt on the French horn. Okay. Yeah, so that oh, was how right. I, I got to know of the French horn and then I was like, oh, okay, I, since I'm in band, I want to play the horn. But, but, here comes the big part. Mm-hmm. But my band instructor at that time was saying like, okay, to play the French horn, you have to play the trumpet well. You have to be able to bass well. And then, but mm-hmm. I don't really like playing the trumpet because my dad was a trumpeter himself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he joined, uh, he was in the sec in his secondary uh, military band back mm-hmm. then in his days. And then he, he played like um, some jazz trumpet um, and worked part-time in in a band or something back then when he was right. younger. La. So, I mean, okay. when I was young, I also played a lot of um, trumpet at home, but I could not bass for nuts. And right. I, I, I mean, I could do a C major scale, but then when I reach uh, A, B, and C, I get really um, headaches yeah. because I, I'm, I'm right, squeezing right. so much. The yeah. resistance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> high resistance, yeah? small yeah. mouthpiece and, and mm-hmm. all. Okay. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I refuse to play the brass instruments. And then, um, so... Um, my senior but horn just was okay. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the rest of the brass instrument was not, but uh, the horn was okay. I didn't know about the euphonium trombone and tubas back then, so yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Uh, well, so, to be honest, too, a lot of people don't know about the euphonium, so that's really okay. Ah. So. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it's right, a cute yeah. looking tuba if you look at it that's, that way. Right, right. That, <laughs> you, you're just gonna make it worse. So. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, let's not go there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah continuing. Right, right. So my hmm. um so one of my senior decided to just approach me because I was sitting there doing nothing. I'm not playing um, any brass. I'm not playing any brass mouthpieces. And then um, I'm not one of those selected to suck a reed in, my, in, uh, in the mouth. So I was mm-hmm. just sitting there doing nothing. And then so this senior just came to me and said, come, you're going to try and play, make a sound on the mouth, a flute mouthpiece. So yeah. she put on my lips and then I blow the sound. Okay, come, let's go. So that's how it Easy. off. Yeah, that's all. Right. That, that's right. how. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and then um, so that's how my flute journey started at thirteen years mm. old, and then at the age of fourteen, I decided to um join an a community band with a very good friend of mine or two very good friends of mine. Um, one of them is um, I think you might have heard of him, um, Tianze or Tianze, who is currently ah, studying saxophone in uh, Nafa. Yeah, he's yes. a senior of mine back then. Yeah. Right. So we decided to join uh the Sembawang Winds. Mm-hmm. And Which is still active. Yeah. It's still an ongoing band at yeah. the moment. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then um I mean it was a nightmare for me at the beginning because they play a lot of difficult things. And then I mean for a kid who just started playing the flute for like just a year, a year and a half, it's impossible when you ask this kid to play along, uh, to try and play along for like a, um, what's his name? Um, Bert Appelmon, Saga Candida, yeah. or to do a transcription, orchestral transcription mm. um, for Ben, um, yeah. Lucas Strauss, Don Juan. These are mm. crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and just a little bit of uh, information for the listeners out there. Uh, Sembawang or- uh, Wind Orchestra, in the day, in the past, were super well known for doing huge orchestral transcriptions. And these were not the standard ones that you hear, like an 1812 overture or some kind of other opera overture. This was like movements of huge symphonies like Mahler V or like Mahler Three. So some pretty insane stuff, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And they do a yeah. lot of... Um, 
not so common repertoires in um, Singapore as well. I mean, if I remember correctly, the scene in Singapore, we were more prone to play, uh, to playing American and Japanese works. But mm. then, Sembawang wins, they play a lot of European stuffs. So it's yeah. really a very different culture. And I mean, back mm. then when we have the IRC, yeah, yeah. Um, with the band music, and it's like you have you have a lot of um access to all those Americans repertoires, but the Europeans one uh, was a little bit not so much. So I was in Sembawang Winds, and then that was how I think my interest for flute really sparked off or took off. So mm. I've been listening to then a, a lot of um classical stuff, a lot of band repertoire. I, I tried to look for flute repertoires as well. And subsequently, I graduated from my secondary school and I went to um, junior college. I was in Nanyang Junior College. Mm -hmm. And I was elected as the student conductor because I spent too much time in the band room, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, um, when there's no lessons in, in NYJC, you could just hang out in the canteen or, well, I mean, for some of us, we have the keys, so we just hide in the band room. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was when I really, mm, I would say I was kind of getting really serious on music because mm. I couldn't really see an alternative, like what I could do in the future. Okay. So I was thinking like, okay, uh, I don't see myself going to the uni and do a, well, um, what do you call it? Open bracket, like a normal degree and then get mm-hmm. a, another open bracket, normal job, office job, I yeah. would say. Yeah, and mm-hmm. do from 8 to 5 or 9 to 6, I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. I was like thinking, okay, I want to study music because mm. over the years, everything, basically my life has been revolving around music. Mm-hmm. And that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to have um, some flute lessons to audition um, for NAFA. That was like at the end of um, my 17th birthday, so 17, 10, no, okay, and yeah, 17 years old. So. Okay. And then so I started to um, get lessons from one of the most famous flute teachers at the time, um, Wang Tong, which I'm yeah. sure many of us uh well aware of mm-hmm. yeah so um i took lessons from her and then i got into nafa and i started studying with jinta um, mm. and then somehow with some luck uh in my second year i got really lucky i won the school concerto comp- competition and then i was selected to go for ayo asian youth orchestra representing mm-hmm. singapore and uh, I always I can still remember what um my teacher Jin Ta told me. He was like saying, "Oh, this year is your lucky year." <laughs> I was like, "Right, yeah." <laughs> like suddenly everything's just coming my way, you know. Right, yeah. right. And yeah. okay, so after that, um, uh, after graduating from Nafa, I went into NS. Like I mean, we went in the same time, and mm. surprisingly, I mean, I was posted to Nisun camp after my BMT. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a good thing, you know. I saw Nissan Cam also ha- happy. Okay, for some for some of you that didn't know, I mean, Nissan Cam is um, where the SAF band is located. Yeah, the home of the SAF band. Yeah, well. so yeah. I was posted posted to Nissan Cam, but not the top of the camp. I was at the bottom of the camp. I was posted to um the medical, medic medical uh call. Yeah. Yeah. So I was gonna be a combat medic. Good for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And combat medic is. Perhaps uh, might not sound as demanding, but actually extremely demanding, isn't it? Mm. Uh, well, the uh, I would say I was pretty lucky because after that, after the um basic medical training, I was posted to the medical center. So ah, okay, I have aircon, so it's not so bad. <laughs> there you go, there you go. So not yeah, not yeah. too different from myself, not ah, too different from me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so I mean because I was not posted to the band, I was really upset. And I mean, but I can't do nuts about it because I tried to convince the the officers there, but they said like, if you say that you want to go to the um, band, what if everyone says that everyone said that they want to go to the band too because they they were from the school, they were from they they studied music. So no, I mean you don't get to choose, you know. And I guess mm. I wasn't convincing enough and I wasn't rebellious enough to say that, no, are you sure there's a lot of people who want to study music? Uh. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that guy is still your officer. So yeah. there's there's only so much uh, yeah, <laughs> you true. can do, right? Yeah, yeah you I'm can't sorry, challenge sir. him too I much as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll just back off slowly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I was posted to the medical center, I mean, what I did, I, I tried to do what I can. Um, so to prepare, uh, that was when I have already decided that um, after NAFA, I decided I want to um, pursue my studies overseas. So while mm. in in the um, medical center, I mean, I have a an hour lunch break every day. So I try to eat within like 10 minutes and then I, I, I practice for the next 40 minutes or so every day in the one of the rooms lecture rooms that we have yeah mm. and then after that i mean i tried to audition for um the schools in germany when i was in uh, when it was 2013 i took off from the army but then it didn't turn out so well i mean i auditioned for three schools and i've i passed two i know i i passed one and failed two but then that okay. one school it's i passed but there wasn't any vacancy for me well, whatever mm. that means, yeah, one, it's already strange. One of those, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. So um, that was when I decided. Okay, so I didn't pass, and then um, I will work for a year after NS and save up some money and prepare for the next year's audition. So in mm. two thousand fourteen, I, I did like I applied for like eleven schools, and then I did, like I think seven or eight before I got my, um, my slot, my place in Hanover. Mm. Yeah, so that was when I started my studies in Hanover as a bachelor student on playing the flute for two years, and then after that, two years later, two thousand sixteen, I changed school and went on to Nuremberg, yeah. and then I I completed my bachelor's uh, in two years after that. So it was basically a just a transfer, and uh, it went on smoothly, lah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I continued and did my masters which I have finally successfully graduated uh, kind of like officially four weeks ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank Congratulations. You, finally. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, along the way when I was in Germany and in Singapore, I did win some small 
competitions along the way, mm. which really helped to boost my confidence, I would say. And then right. um, there was uh, in 20, I think, 17 or 18. Yeah, I, I was an intern for one of the German orchestras, um, German opera orchestras. Um, it's called Augsburg Philharmonie. Philharmonica. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then, so last year, I mean, in September, before, one week before my graduation recital, I did my audition for this current orchestra. And so luckily, I mean, that's how I landed up with my job here in Berlin or near Berlin. Mm. Yeah. So that's basically the walk of my life. <laughs> Yeah, nice, nice. And I think lots to unpack here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to go back to this initial idea that, uh, for example, when your teacher was telling you that this was your lucky year, I think luck only uh, really materialized for people who were at the right place at the right time and was prepared enough to take the opportunity. So mm -hmm. I would say that uh, on your part, you have done the work and things align and you are at the right place at the right time. But for sure, there has been work that, that has gone through, uh, or you have gone through a certain amount of uh, preparation in order for you to achieve the success during those times, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And now this idea of pursuing musical studies, uh, but maybe you have thought about this before, maybe not, but do you think that a, a part of it has to do with you seeing your... Uh, your aunt living in Taiwan as a musician, making a living as a musician, did that play a part in your mind to tell yourself that actually this is actually it's a feasible career that I can go into this? Did that play a part or was it just like, you know, I am really interested in this and therefore I'm just going to go full on like into this higher music education thing? Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually a very good question because I thought about it myself as well but uh, I only thought about it like a few years later after I started uh, my music career in NAFA <laughs> mm. uh, no I, I would say actually it didn't because um, now it didn't occur to me at all like what my aunt was doing because like uh, I was just so into the flute myself I mean it was just and I mean because she's also in Taiwan and back then um, communication wasn't that advanced as what we have today so it's basically mm. it was just me and myself I was just uh, you could say I was in my own little bubble where I was just thinking no I want to do music I mean I, I really love what I've been learning so far um, in the school band in the community band and mm. I really enjoyed this classical music thing that's revolving around me so I just decided that I want to study music one day or maybe with some discussion with some of my um, schoolmates back in JC. Actually, no. Uh, it was probably due to... Um, I had a talk with my um, civic tutor in NYJC or form teacher for some. Okay. Yeah, so, um, right. so, I mean, he's not a typical teacher because... Uh, uh, not a typical Singapore teacher because uh, he's from, I think he's from Canada or 
America. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, right. his his way of thinking is a little bit different. And then so we we had um um some talks. He was counseling me and then giving me advices. And he asked me, so what do I want to do? And yeah. I was telling him like I want to study music, and he was saying like, so what's stopping you? Why are you not pursuing? What are you doing here? And stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he's trying to like get my thoughts straight straightened out. And yeah. that was when I decided, okay, um, after a long session with him, I've decided I want to do music because I cannot see myself doing anything else right mm. at that moment. Yeah. Right. So no, it doesn't really have anything to do with um, influence from the family because I didn't even factor in that my aunt was a singer or a, a piano teacher. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. no, it didn't occur at all. Right. Okay. And now after the first round of auditions overseas, uh, obviously we, no matter who, we don't enjoy this feeling of like not achieving what we set out to do, right? So kind of like, but it's part of the process. Uh, It's okay if we don't do well. It's okay if we fail auditions because it's part of the process to, to learn and to prepare ourselves for the future. So after the first round of auditions, what stopped you from settling for a school in Singapore? Why did you have the drive to now go back the following year and now take on 11 schools <laughs> and roll that dice? Because uh, apart from just applying to these schools and preparing and the rigor of going to all 11 schools within a fixed period of time, mm-hmm. it costs quite a bit of money for mm-hmm. you to sign up and to travel from city to city, uh, finding a place to live, and, and all this kind of stuff, not knowing the language very well, probably. I'm not sure whether you knew the language very well back then. So, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what, what was that? Where did that motivation come from to now double down or triple down or in fact, literally quadruple down to 11 schools? <laughs> yeah, from the three before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it was due to my ambition, my desire that I want to be an orchestral musician. So, I mean, I really enjoyed playing in a huge ensemble and Mm. it happened, I think it could have happened by luck because back then in um, our NAFA days, my initial thought was that I want to study in France because of... Paris Conservatoire, which we all know, which is um, really renowned for its um, woodwind faculty, woodwinds are uh, really good. But then mm. I researched a little bit on um, the conservatory and then I realized, oh, by the time I finished army, I was already too old to get yeah, into Yeah, if you're 18, you're too old, basically. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yes. must be 16 and play. Mm-hmm. super duper well yeah it's crazy yeah. Man. and then yeah. yeah so when I mean by the time when I finished army I was already 23 so it's like uh, it's not even an acceptable age for them I would be I should be doing masters already at that time in that school mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and I didn't know so much about any other schools so I was um panicking at that time I think and then it just mm-hmm. so happens that I came across our NAFA music history lecturer Dr. Rebecca Khan and then I was mm-hmm. talking to her about this and then she was saying, why not you try Germany? Like Germany, I mean, they are very known for their orchestras and everything. And I was like, huh, 
that's a good idea actually so again yeah. it was like it was luck you know if if she didn't tell me i, I don't think i would have tried to pursue uh, my studies in germany as well even though i know we have friends seniors who are who are also in the midst of um studying uh, i mean preparing for their studies i mean to advance in germany mm. yeah right so mm. i started to do a little bit of research on various schools and then i tried to l- listen to the recordings of the professors which i thought that i might like or I, that i would want to study with them and then back then i mean the internet wasn't still wasn't that advanced where i mean there's already google translate but it's not as good as what we have yeah. today yeah. yeah so it was For really sure. a pain really a pain to try and um translate every site mm. <laughs> that you find yeah and and somehow yes. i mean i just landed up with 11 schools because I, from the past experience and from what the others have been telling me you will not well most probably you will not get into your first school or second school and mm. because i mean we will be fighting with so many music students or um, yeah. um young people who have been playing the instruments much longer than we have and they have started at the age of um i don't know um 4 5 Ten mm, maybe, mm. and they have received yep. professional trainings. Whereas we started like really late. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe the chances well. not so not so high. But then I mean, with more schools, you might have more chances. You know, don't don't try to throw yeah. all your eggs into one basket, lah. As they say, yeah. For sure. And uh, so, if you could just sum it up for us, pros and cons of studying in Germany. What is the biggest pro? What is the biggest con? The biggest pro I would say um school fees wise I mean um practically you you pay peanuts to study in really good schools um you pay only like 600 a year 600 euros a year to study in Germany and then um living cost is not that high mm. and I mean you get a bunch a whole lot of orchestras professional orchestras in Germany to listen to Uh, I was researching yeah. the other day, and then I think on the website uh, on online it says that Germany is the country that has the most amount of professional countries uh, of orchestras in the whole mm. world. So I mean that's a plus point for you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean the 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 music scene is really rich, and I mean from my experience. Like whenever you do a concert, be it's a school concert or it's a recital or whatever you have there, the people are really supportive. They really enjoy music. Mm. It, I mean, of course, we are basically in Europe. I think in the most most parts of Europe, I mean, all your audiences are mainly old people. But I mean, they really appreciate what you do. It's a really nice thing. I feel. Mm. Yeah. So um. The cons, well, firstly, language. You have to learn the language because if you yeah. can't speak the language, it's quite difficult. I mean, if you are living in really big cities like Berlin, or Cologne, or Munich, maybe Munich, I mean, it's fine because people can and they will speak English. Or well, some mm. will, but they might put off some um, really black face. They might not want to speak English to you yeah. because you are in their country, isn't That's it? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, learning language is one thing, and then um, mm-hmm. well, depending 
Uh, the second point, I would say, uh, it depends on also where you live, where you stay. Um, because there's so many orchestras, I mean, there's, it's a good thing and it's also not such a good thing. Not, not such a good thing because, I mean, if you want to just listen to a particular orchestra, for example, Berlin Field or Bavarian Radio, mm. if you are living in Berlin, I mean, okay, cool, you can listen to Berlin Field all day long. But if you want, if you decided that you one fine day you want to listen to Bavaria, the Bavarian Radio Orchestra, and then you have to just take a train. I mean, you have to take a train down, and it's like yeah. six hours down the road mm. just to listen to an okay. to a to a concert. That's not so. Um, yeah, actually, it's worth it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> not, it's, not so I mean, it's still okay oh. co- comparing it to to a fourteen hours flight from here, uh, right? Yeah, so. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I mean, if you were to compare it to like um, London, I mean, um, in UK, because mm. London is also like, uh, what's the term for it? Um, the, like an artistic hub. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, the hub. Yeah. Hub's the word. Yeah, where everything yeah. is there. I mean, you just, I mean, mm. if you're staying in London or just slightly outside London, I mean, just take a, I mean, one hour ride and then you get to see everything. Yeah. But mm. I mean, in Germany, I mean, F, I mean, you have everything there, but it's also spread out. So right. that's kind of the con, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think for sure, uh, studying in the UK, I would say that for sure the language is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, we are not even uh, taking into consideration the cultural difference when we shift from uh, an Asian country to a European country. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is a different culture. On top of that, you've got a language barrier which makes it even harder to adapt. Mm-hmm. But Definitely. it seems like most of you have done fine. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It came a long way, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, let's, let's talk about your academic journey in Germany. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned a good number of schools. So you, you're talking about you recently graduating from uh, Essen, mm-hmm. right? Your your master's uh, with master, uh, where you took on your, your master's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you spent different amounts of time in two separate schools during your undergraduate years. Mm-hmm. So talk about this decision to switch schools because I know of certain friends of mine that would stay in one school for an extended period of time. Yeah. Right? They, they love it so much, maybe. And then they just decided not to leave. They just keep going on at that same school. Uh, and you broke your <laughs> uh, <laughs> undergraduate studies into two. To be honest, doing uh, I did consider... Uh, I considered doing that for myself as well. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't brave enough. But mine included shifting to another country. Oh, yeah. And just wasn't brave enough to to actually take action to do that. So, yeah, talk us through how that decision came about and was it difficult to shift from a city to city? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about it, um, what I have been doing for the last few years, basically I was, every two years I have been moving about. So <laughs> the mm. first two years of my life in Germany I was um the first two years I was in the north and then two years later I was in the south and then two years later I was uh, I was in the west and now I'm in the east mm. <laughs> so there you go a full tour <laughs> a full tour you just need to go to castle where yes. Antoine is yes I just need to right? go to the center <laughs> yeah. yeah um okay um basically uh I think it was a no uh, was it a no-brainer I don't know um yeah but basically what happened was because 
when I was in Hanover, my first two years, um, at the end of my second year, I got the news that my professor at that time, she's leaving the school. Mm-hmm. So I decided that, okay, if she's leaving and then some someone else is definitely coming in, right? But then I found out that um, how it is in Germany is that when somebody is leaving the school, um, they will have to put up notices and then um, re-audition for the profession, professorship for the position. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to take a while. It's not going to say like, okay, so um, my professor's leaving now and then like in two months' time, they will get they will do an audition. No, it takes like, um, I think they'll put up the notice for like a year or so and wait for applications from um, various flute players, flute teachers. And okay. then um, yeah. it's the whole process takes up, takes like um, three to four semesters. So that's about two years. Mm. So yeah. what happens will be, I mean, when my professor left and then um, that, okay, or leaves and then um, there will be a substitute professor, teacher who will be coming in for, mm. uh, it could be, two semesters, three semesters, four semesters, or maybe longer. Yeah. Okay. But at that time, I was thinking like, um, I don't want to leave my fate at the hands of the of others. You know, like, yeah, I, I already did two years of my studies. And then what if another teacher comes in and he's only there for three semesters? I mean, a bachelor has um, four years, right? Four semesters. Yeah. Uh, sorry, eight semesters. So... I have four semesters with this teacher and then three with another guy or lady. And then in my mm-hmm. final semester came comes the um um the the confirmed professor. And then it's gonna be so confusing because I mean you learn from this teacher this particular style and then you're used to this teaching and then when you're going to graduate and you have to change to another teacher with another different mm-hmm. set of teachings. I think this is yeah. not um so suitable. I, I I mean sure I mean you you can um have lessons with different teachers but maybe not like in one year you have like two teachers you know it's just you haven't even really um absorbed what the other teacher has said and then now you have to adapt to another one and you're graduating yeah. in like um what three months or two months mm-hmm. it's already a little <laughs> yeah. crazy yeah so I decided yeah. that I will audition for um a few other schools and mm. then. Um, what happens was, um, I mean, back in 2014, when I auditioned, when I did my second round of auditions in Germany, I actually auditioned for Nuremberg as well. Yeah. And the teacher already wanted to accept me um, back then. But the, okay. Yeah, but the problem is because at that time, I don't have any um, German language certification. So, oh, yeah, and, and I mean, okay, so this thing, ah, yeah, okay, yeah, so this is about the cons about um, um, Germany, no? yeah, um, mm. different schools have different requirements, so, um, for instance, in Hanover, um, language-wise, if you don't have your German cert uh, in the first year, that's no problem, you can enter the school, you can still have lessons, but then you have to produce um, your German certificate um, level B2 at the end of your first year or second year. It depends on how mm. you negotiate with the school. And then um, in Nuremberg, it's a different story, a whole different story. It says that, I mean, um, in order to get into the school, you have to already have B2 before you enter the school. So, I mean, in 2014, I have 
nuts. I have nothing. I have nothing at all. So <laughs> so the school refused to accept me, even though my professor, my current professor tried to fight for me. But the okay. school just say no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 2016, two years later, I auditioned for Nuremberg. And um, mm. I, I mean, before that, I had lessons with the teacher, la, of course. And then um, that's when I realized, okay, this teacher is really suitable for me. And I really liked her teaching. And I auditioned and I mean, she, she, she liked my playing enough that she would also accept me. So that's when I decided, okay, so I will move over to Nuremberg to study with her. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's um, the gist of my bachelor lifehood, livelihood, livelihood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then um, come um, 2018, when I moved to Essen, um, it ba- basically that's not, I wouldn't say it's a, change of school or change of professor because my professor got the professorship in Essen. That's why we decided ah, to move over there. I see. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, it's not a bad move because, I mean, she got a full-time position in Essen. Mm-hmm. And then I think the school is also much richer and there's more resources and more possibilities. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, it was a good thing as well. Mm, yeah, actually, Essen is one of the stops that a lot of the RNCM students will do their Erasmus. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe okay. Maybe a lot is stretching it, but uh-huh. a few uh-huh. that I know uh-huh. that they actually go to Essen to uh for their Erasmus. Uh, let me guess. You might brass players. Yes, uh-huh. trombones. Ah, yeah. But I in know the why. past, <laughs> right? In the past, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the the te- the professor's English. Right. Mm, yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, moving from city to city, do you feel like culturally within the country, there is differences that is difficult to adapt to, or is it? It's still kind of one country, maybe slightly different uh, dialects or language. Uh, was that just the main difference, or were there other things in play as well? Hmm. That's actually a very good question. I mean. Now that I can speak German more fluently, it's more or less the same, I feel. Mm. Yeah, but of course, I mean, there's still some difference. I mean, if you want to really generalize or <laughs> go really stereotypical, like North Germans, I would say they are a little on the colder side. They don't smell as much. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it could be also due to like um the weather. You, might, you know, mm. I mean, they have... Always really bad weather. in in the in the north. It's always cold and cloudy. Yeah, it's really grey and it's <laughs> when they it rains a lot. Now that I think about mm. it, it rains so much that it's crazy. When I was um, riding my bike in Hanover, it's just you need a raincoat or you need a hood to cover yourself. Yeah, yeah, right. And then in the south, I would say the people are more friendly. They are more open. Mm-hmm. And the west. The West, I would say, it's it's more similar to um the South. Okay. Yeah, um, and mm. I mean, if you were to ask me like about the North, uh, sorry, the East, right now in German, uh, in Berlin, all I can say is what I know of Berlin right now is the four walls that I am living in, <laughs> because <laughs> of I mean the current <laughs> pandemic situation. Yeah, yeah, I I mean yeah, I yeah. haven't been walking anywhere at all in in Berlin. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, out of these places that you lived and 
uh, apart from Berlin, you spent two years in each of them. Favorite city to live in is? I would say to live in um, environment wise, I would say Nuremberg because right. it's just so pretty there. I mean, um, the the, I mean Germany. A lot of cities are known for their old town, old city areas, and mm. I think of the four cities that I have been living in right now. I mean, until now, Nuremberg's Nuremberg's um old city is the one that's most intact, where you see a lot mm. of the culture, the history of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So living wise, yeah. I would say um Nuremberg is really comfortable, but food wise, mm. I would say <laughs> Essen. Yeah, because okay. yeah, because in Essen, I mean Essen um is in the west of um Germany and um Dusseldorf, which is um just like half an hour away from uh, Essen. Yeah. yeah, I mean they have a lot Asia of town. Asia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> they they have this right. little nickname like a little Japan or little Tokyo because um there's a lot of Japanese staying there and I mean mm. there's so much restaurants, so many restaurants and so many Asian supermarkets there. So yeah. yeah, I mean, and with a half an hour train ride, and I mean it's free because I mean I don't have to pay with my uh I have my semester ticket my, which is also mm. um coincidentally my um what do you call it. Transport ticket. Yeah. Yeah. So right, right. So it's it's free, and then I just go there. I just yeah, it's it's really nice to eat, things that you're familiar with or or things that you mm. you miss, you know. Yeah. yeah, but I think Berlin would be a really good place to get food too. But just that right yeah. now, hmm, maybe not now. <laughs> yeah, we've spoken about it. Fantastic coffee as well. Really, really good coffee. Oh yes, you definitely check them out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, and I, I absolutely I agree that Nuremberg is a really, really beautiful city, mm-hmm. rich in heritage, rich in history, lots of fantastic museums, uh, in the two, three days that I was there, right? And of yeah. course, the most popular Christmas market in the entire Europe. Oh, yes. That is. Yeah. But I think so, maybe it's also because it's, it's the biggest Christmas market because yeah. like, uh, it's a little bit like what we will say in Pasamalam in Singapore, right? Just mm. that it's mm. really, everything's focused in the marketplace. So um, in Nuremberg, they have this... Mm. um huge marketplace in the center of the old town, old city. And that's mm. when all the um, Christmas market stores are gathered around there. And I mean, I, th- yep. uh, I can't remember, but I think it's either 300 or 3,000 stores <laughs> gathered in that mm. one particular spot. Whereas in the rest of Germany, um, I mean, you have a couple of stands here and there in different parts yeah. of the city. So it's not that pretty in comparison mm. yeah, yeah definitely it's an absolute spectacle mm-hmm. yeah so I, I had to I had to go there I think I took a I took back a, a glue vine cup as well mm-hmm. oh nice yeah. did you bring the yeah. cup back mm-hmm. oh you, you, you did yes 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 okay. yeah absolutely I brought, brought it back to Singapore yeah. brought it back to UK then brought it back to Singapore nice I yeah. have one as well somewhere at the back over there <laughs> cool 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 so uh, you know uh, speaking to you now after uh you have left for Germany for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how living abroad and how this entire overseas, overseas education has affected the way you think about music 
and the music industry and how, uh, what does our work mean? You know, I, I think, is it fair for me to say that the general feeling in Europe is that if you can make enough living to cover your day-to-day expenses, it is a feasible career. Whereas in terms of in Singapore, Mm -hmm. we are always looking towards like, you know, saving a little bit more money because we are aiming to to get a house and and all these things. Uh, In in a way, I feel like sometimes in Singapore, we try to uh, beat the game. Right, we are in this sort of. Uh, we we try to always plan ahead to to outsmart the future, and it it makes a lot of things become not so feasible. Whereas I feel like if I'm not sure about Germany, but at least in the UK, I have certain friends that you know they are they are working, they are making enough living to to get by. You know, maybe a little bit more on top of that, and they seem to be content with the the work that they are doing. They keep doing it. And then they'll just, you know, stay stay in this this line of work. Uh, do you share this consensus as well? Mm, I would say, I mean, of course, it really depends on um where you are staying, right? I mean, um, I can't say much for UK because I'm pretty sure it's a whole different system. I mean, not just with the music industry, but also how um how it is as a job industry, how, how the government takes care of the people on a mm. national um, basis level. Yep. Yeah. So mm. um, I would say in Germany, music music making is really a way of life. So, um, I mean, of course, you'll be doing various things in different parts of your uh, different stages of your life sometimes you'll be performing more sometimes you'll be teaching more or you could be going doing both together um but of course um because it is a welfare state welfare country mm. so you pay a lot more for your taxes mm. and then um in return the government will sort of take care of you if when you go yeah. jobless you know so i have I have um friends who finish their studies and then they are not um really working and then I mean they are receiving funds from the government. Yeah. Mm. Uh but then okay, they are I mean they are Germans, uh, so I'm not sure if I will be entitled to that as well <laughs> if I work long yeah. enough here. Yeah. Okay, mm. but I mean of course it doesn't sound that fantastic, but I mean it's like you have a backup if something doesn't work out, right? But okay, let, let's just take the, your, your colleagues and your friends, for example. So when they, they first graduate, they, you know, they might not have a job. So they're on this welfare system. But for sure, I, I'll guess that they would try their best to, to make a decent living for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And that could be taking on other jobs so that they could still play music. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Is this a, a thing? Or do they, tr- yeah. Mm-hmm. Or do they try to find like students and things like that? Um, I mean, from what I've been observing right now, it's like, um, I see most of us, we are still in the field of music. So basically, um, I mean, as all of us or most of us would know, teaching is the norm. You have to teach. So, mm. um, of course, unless, unless you are, you are really just into performing, 
because um, I, I see that I have friends who are really, really into um, performing, who wants to really um, to go on a performing career. But then after a few years, they decided, okay, maybe this is not the thing and they decide to focus on teaching. So, I mean, mm. if you have a will, there's a way. I mean, you just need to find the right path for you. And yep. right now, I mean, from what I've been observing, that's not so, not so many um, negative examples. But of course, okay, like you mentioned about the, the housing part. Like um, in Singapore, I mean, it, it is really a norm where everyone or most of us, we try to own a house of our own. Where I was, mm. um, not I'm pretty sure not just in Germany, but in the rest of different parts of the world. I mean, many people they are just um living in rental houses. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if the pay, if your pay is enough to cover your rent, and if you are able to save up, and you are able to do what you love doing, I mean, if it's secure and everything, then um, why not? I, mm. I don't see that much of a problem. I mean, because based on what I am doing now, I have been moving everywhere. Uh, of course, I mean, but yeah. it's also really tiring, I would say. To yeah. to, to get um, stationed down at one city is also a really good thing because that's when all your contacts and everything starts coming in. Whereas for mm. what I have been doing in the last, uh, what's this, seven years, it's just hectic moving around right. is really tiring yeah but okay mm. so back back to the um, question i mean if you can if you are able to do some saving ups and um and continue what you love doing i don't think that is a huge problem i mean because if you want to get a house it's not like okay i save mm. up for one year and then i can get a house it's, it's gonna take like over many years right uh, yeah, a yeah. few years. Yeah, so definitely. so I'm I I mean I I have um teachers. I mean my teachers. They, I mean they they can. I mean they bought their houses as well. So I'm sure this is a feasible option. It's just a matter yep. of when. I mean if you don't give up, it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Perhaps in in the past, some of. Uh, or I was just I, I would say that at times we would feel that in the Singapore culture when you go up to do a performance you are often being uh, scrutinized to a absolutely ridiculous level right which means that if you are uh, if you've been through higher training it almost feels like you cannot have a misstep in a performance uh-huh. so what they they expect from your your live performance is kind of equivalent to what they would hear from a CD <laughs> Right at times, right mm-hmm. maybe uh, the, the culture uh, culture over here has also been been changing over the years, oh. and uh, you mentioned something about people uh, audience member in Germany where where they go to a concert to really enjoy the music and listen to music and enjoy themselves and they vouch or, or they support uh, the the performance they want the performance to do well you know they want the performance to play well and things like that uh, since living there has your the way you frame your mind towards performance has that changed as well because of the the people, the type of people that you're playing for and performing for. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I mean, back then, I mean, as you said, um, okay, uh, how should I say this? Back then when I was still in Singapore or when I just came over here, my, my mindset was pretty much um, in the old way of thinking, like what you said, like, okay, I'm standing up here and then the 
those people, I have to prove it to them that I can play well. If not, they are going to be like bombarding me or behind my back mm. saying, oh God, this guy, he can't play for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, I mean, over the years, I mean, of course, it's not just the... um. The audiences, audience. Um, it's also um how your teacher tries to, how your teacher and your class supports you. I would say I was mm. very lucky to be in two or three very encouraging classes where my classmates and teachers are really very supportive. Where I mean, I mean, if you if you don't play that fantastic on the day of a performance or do, or during your um studio class, I mean, no problem we will work on it. It's still a good effort and then try again the next time. I think this mm. is um a really, really encouraging way to make sure that this line of work carries on mm. because yeah. otherwise, if, if you were to just um, experience um, scrutiny every day, mm. it's really difficult to see what you're doing as your passion, as what's yeah. what you love doing, yeah. Mm. But of course, I mean, um, maybe it's also because we we have we 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 have um different expectations. Our cultures are different because in Asia we we value very much on professionalism. We value a lot mm. on um, um, how do you call that appearance? Like everything has to yeah. look really nice. Whereas yeah. um here, I mean, they focus on the aesthetics of it where. Okay, yeah, I mean, you have a little bit mistakes here, but then the music, the line is so beautiful. I can forego mm. that small little mistake that you make because I still enjoy the overall thing that you have been procreating to uh, in the mm. concert to let us enjoy and uh, a really nice atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I I guess the the idea is really for us sometimes to take a step back and look at the bigger picture of our development rather than the, the constant uh, emphasis on what we are not doing very well or what we can't do at the moment. And that in if we keep working at it and we keep going at it, that it will become better. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, right? definitely. Yeah. I mean, because what we have been doing all these years is basically to hone our skills, our yeah. art, so that um, we can deliver what we have in mind to the audience or to see, mm. to let them see what we are trying to portray, you know, yeah, because I mean, sure. as, as we all said, like music is a language of, of its own and you're mm. not speaking, you're not trying to deliver your message by words through your mouth. You're trying to deliver messages through the images that you're creating through your music. It, it is a, a quite a grueling process, uh, higher music education, I think, <laughs> yeah, uh, because... We, we do hold ourselves to, to a very high standard, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, we won't really be doing what we're doing yeah. because we, we seek for this excellence. And we, we do know that there's no end to this pursuit of excellence because things can always become better. And the fact that this is art, it simply means that if we do the same thing or if we do the same activity every, every day, the outcome is going to be slightly different. Mm-hmm. Because we're not robots, right? Yeah. So let's take that 100 days uh, challenge that you did. Like you said, 
four consecutive days of really good performance doesn't mean that day five is going to be the same. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. We, yeah, that, that's the truth of it. We, can't, we, we don't wake up thinking that what we're going to do today is going to be exactly the same as yesterday. Right? So it's, it, it, it doesn't work like that. And that if it, things don't work out, we just got to figure things out, take a step back, and then recalibrate everything again, and then go from there. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, yeah, because I mean... Yeah, it's imp- I mean, it's impossible if you were to make sure that you have, um, let's say you have 15 performance coming up and you are you, you can play like 15 of them all perfectly. I mean, even if somebody who has been watching the concert, uh, this concert by this particular guy for the next 15 concerts and you have been watching it, even if he was to play everything correctly or... Um, correctly and no wrong notes and um, lines are nice there would be something that's different about it because for sure yeah i mean unless i mean you are a robot then maybe yeah but unfortunately mm. or fortunately our bodies they don't function that way <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah so that's what Absolutely. makes um, art aesthetics uh, aesthetic arts um, so interesting i guess absolutely and on that note i think it is time for us to wrap this conversation up clement thank you <laughs> right it's been wonderful catching up with you My yeah pleasure. i hope you yeah i hope you <laughs> enjoy your time speaking to me and yeah wonderful insights uh, that you have shared uh, with your time in germany your own personal experiences so uh, lots to uh, for us to to ponder on and, and think about for sure mm-hmm. and uh, i wish you all the very best in your new job i hope things get back to um you, you get back to doing your your job as soon as possible right that the, the measures start to ease up but meanwhile please stay safe and take care of yourself yep thank you very much i hope i hope <laughs> i really hope that i mean things will get back to normal soon but at the moment well we will just see but yes thank you very much for getting me on the show appreciate it oh good oh good yeah <laughs> Really, really fun speaking to you. So for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.